Chapter 27 The Doctor The next morning, Mr Fitzgibbon started the larger of his two tractors, the one he kept in the barn, the one that pulled the combine in the autumn harvest. With help from Paul and Billy, he bolted the big bulldozer blade to the front of it, rumbled it up through the barnyard gate and stopped it near the rosebush. We'll wait until they come, he said, turning off the engine. Mrs Frisbee could not bear to watch, and yet, even more, she could not bear not to watch. She knew there was nothing to be gained by it, nothing she could do. Yet how could she stay at home when the ten rats, including Justin and Brutus, were waiting bravely underground? She could not. She thought at first of her watch hole in the corner post. Then she decided against it. Nearer to the rosebush, on the edge of the woods, stood a hickory tree, its scaly bark like a ladder inviting her to climb. Ten feet up on this tree, a large branch jutted straight out. On this branch, up close to the trunk, she had a vantage point from which herself unseen. She could look down on the rosebush and also see into the woods to a blackberry bramble where, though she had never been in it, she was sure the rat's rear exit must be hidden. She settled down to wait. It was a chilly morning with a damp breeze and a grey mist that blew by in patches. Somewhere near the middle of the morning, a square white truck came into the driveway. It went first to the house. A man in a white coverall uniform climbed out and knocked on the Fitzgibbon's door. It was too far away for Mrs Frisbee to hear the knock, or to hear what the man said when Mrs Fitzgibbon came out on the porch. But ten seconds later, Billy ran from the house to the barn where Mr Fitzgibbon was working. The man returned to the truck and waited standing outside the open cab door. Through the windscreen, she could see that two more men sat in the front seat and that one of them wore horn-rimmed glasses. Now Mr Fitzgibbon approached the truck, Billy dancing beside him, apparently in some excitement. There was a conference, none of which Mrs Frisbee could hear, accompanied by gestures towards the rosebush and the waiting bulldozer. The man in white climbed back into the driver's seat and drove the truck across the grass. He backed it up beside the bulldozer, stopping perhaps ten feet from the bush. Mrs Frisbee stared at it. If there was anything printed on it, it must be on the other side, away from her. Then the three men climbed out, and she could hear what they said. It's a big one, all right, said one of the men, and look at those thorns. It's hard to see how even a rat could get in there. The man in the horned rims walked around the edge of the bush, examining it closely. He bent over. Look at this, he said. There's the entrance hole, very neatly hidden, and look behind it, a path leading in. He turned to Mr Fitzgibbon 
who had walked up with Billy. You were right. You'll need to bulldoze it. It would take us all day to hack our way in there. But cut it off just at the surface if you can. If you dig too deep and open the hole, they'll get away. He added, You'd better tell the boy to keep back. We'll be using cyanide, and it's dangerous. <coughs> Billy, after some argument, was dispatched to the back porch, where Mrs Fitzgibbon was also watching. One of the men had walked around to the far side of the bush, the side near Mrs Frisbee's tree. Doc, he called, here's another entrance in the bush, and there's a hole just inside it. Doc was the man in the horn rims. He was a doctor, Mrs Frisbee thought. Doctor somebody. He was in charge. Can you get at it? he asked. Not very well. Too many thorns. The man who was a doctor walked around and looked at it. No, he said. Anyway, that would be the escape hatch. We'll find the main hole nearer the middle of the bush. He turned to Mr Fitzgibbon, who had mounted the tractor. OK, said the doctor. Can you push it that way, away from the shed? Mr Fitzgibbon nodded, and the motor started with a roar. He pulled the lever and flexed the heavy steel blade up and down, bringing the bottom edge to rest just even with the ground. The blade was fully eight feet across. He pulled another lever. The wheels, with tyres as tall as windows, dug in, and the blade scraped forward. The bush fought back, then yielded angrily, snapping and crackling before the inexorable thrust of steel. A single sweep, and a third of it lay, a writhing heap of thorns, in a pile twenty feet away. The ground trembled under the wheels, and Mrs Frisbee thought of the ten rats huddled below. Supposing the weight collapsed the earth, caved in the storage room and trapped them. Another sweep, and a third. Only a thorny stubble now stood where the bush had been. On the porch, Mrs Fitzgibbon covered her eyes with her hands, and Billy cheered in excitement. Plainly exposed were two holes, simple, round rat holes. There was no trace of the small mound, nor the elegant arched entrance. Arthur had done his work thoroughly. Mrs Frisbee wondered for a moment at the second hole. Then she remembered him saying, We'll give them another rear exit to block. Of course. They had dug another hole. Most likely, she thought, just a dummy, leading nowhere. The men in the white suits went into action. The back doors of the truck were opened and a long, flexible pipe unrolled. It looked like a fire hose, except that at the end, instead of a nozzle, there was a round plunger like a big rubber ball cut in half. One of the men donned a mask with a glass visor and a tube that ran to a pack on his back, a gas mask. The masked man pulled the hose over to the centre rat hole and placed the plunger over it, covering it completely. 
From the back of the truck, the other two took a large box made of wood and wire, almost a yard wide, and placed it over the second hole. It was a cage, but half of its bottom was a trap door, neatly mounted on hinges. This they raised, placing the open part directly over the opening in the earth. Then they backed away, one of them holding a trip cord, which would close the trap door after the rats were inside. All set? The doctor called to the man in the mask. The mask nodded. Keep back now, said the doctor to Mr Fitzgibbon, who had left his tractor to watch. He walked to the truck, reached inside, and turned a switch. Mrs Frisby heard the soft throb of a pump. Now! She turned and watched the blackberry bramble in the woods. Would they hear the pump? Where were they? Oh, let them come out. Almost a minute passed. The men in white watched the trap. Nothing moved. Then she saw it. Behind the bramble, half hidden by a swirl of mist, a grey-brown shape, a rat, shaking earth from his ears. Another. Then three more. They huddled in silence, waiting. More. How many? Ten? Seven. Only seven. Where were the other three? Still they waited. Then, as if by agreement, they stopped waiting. They ran. All seven of them. Not back into the woods to safety. But out of the woods. Towards the stubble of the rosebush. Towards the men. At the edge of the bush, they stopped as if in confusion, ran to the left, ran to the right, and then fled back into the woods again. Now they were out of sight of the men, but not of Mrs Frisby. Instantly, they regrouped behind the blackberry bramble and charged out again, but this time in smaller numbers. First two, then three, then two again. She saw what they were up to. They were not in the least confused. They were making seven rats look like twenty rats, or forty, a steady stream of them. In the mist, in the hectic turning, running, turning, hiding, she could not tell whether or not she recognised any of them. The men shouted, Look at that! A pack of them! How did they get out? Get the nets! The doctor turned off the pump. The man with the hose pulled off his mask, as a new wave of rats danced along the edge of the clearing. All three men ran to the truck, and from it pulled long-handled nets. Mrs Frisby, up on her branch, was staring at the blackberry bush again. She saw something that all of the others, including the rats, did not see. An eighth rat had come out. He emerged running. But then he stumbled. He got up and ran again, this time more slowly, circling to the right. He did not seem to know where he was going. He reached a sparse thicket of saplings, almost out of her sight, and there, abruptly, he fell over on his side and lay still. Meanwhile, all three men, holding their nets low, ran across the stubble towards the parade of rats. 
but as they approached the parade it vanished. The rats, their purpose accomplished, melted into the misty woods. And this time they did not reappear. Mrs Frisbee watched them as they loped away swiftly in single file and disappeared from her view, back into the deep forest and up the mountainside. The rear guard was gone, bound for Thorn Valley. But the eighth rat still lay unmoving among the saplings, and two had never come out at all. They're gone, said the man who had worn the mask. They fooled us. What happened? asked Mr Fitzgibbon, standing near the truck. Simple enough, said the doctor. They had two escape holes, and they used the other one. He walked back to the blackberry bramble and bent down, kicking the branches with side with his foot. Here it is, he said. Quite a long tunnel, one of the longest I've seen. To the other two men, he said, get the pick and the shovels. For half an hour they dug, laying open a narrow trench along the tunnel. From her angle of view in the tree, Mrs Frisbee could see only the top of this trench, and not down into the bottom. Still, she watched, saying to herself, Perhaps, after all, there were only eight. Maybe they decided that eight would be enough. Then, one of the shovels broke through into air. They had come to the rat's storage room. There's two of them, said one of the men, and her heart sank. Who were they? She wanted to run and look, but she did not dare. Careful, said the doctor. There may still be some gas in there. Let the wind blow it out. Phew, said one of the men. That's not gas. That's garbage. Open it up a little more, said the doctor. One of the men wielded his shovel for another minute. And then the doctor peered in. Garbage, he said. Last night's dinner. Garbage and two dead rats. Mrs Frisbee thought, he sounds disappointed. Only two, said Mr Fitzgibbon. Yes, it's easy to see what happened. In a hole this size, there would have been a couple of dozen at least. But these two must have been up at the front, near the tunnel. They got a whiff of the gas, and it killed them. But before they died, they must have warned the others, so the rest ran out. Warned them? said Mr Fitzgibbon. Could they do that? Oh yes, said the doctor. They're intelligent animals. Some can do a great deal more than that. But he did not elaborate. Instead, he turned to one of the men. We might as well take these two back with us. From the truck, the man produced a white paper sack and a pair of plastic gloves. He pulled the gloves on, reached into the hole and placed the two dead rats into the sack. He did this with his back to Mrs Frisbee, so that she never got even a glimpse of them. All right, said the doctor, let's close it up. They shoveled the earth back into the trench and returned to the truck. You'll let me know if they have rabies, said Mr Fitzgibbon. Rabies, said the doctor. Yes, uh, of course, but I doubt it. 
they looked perfectly healthy. Perfectly healthy, thought Mrs Frisbee sadly, except for being dead. She looked into the woods, over towards the saplings where the other rat lay. Was he too now dead? To her surprise, she saw that he was moving. Or was he? In the mist it was hard to tell, but something had moved. After the truck had left, Mr Fitzgibbon stood, looking at the ruin of the rosebush. He seemed vaguely puzzled and disappointed. He must be wondering, she thought, whether it had been worth it, just to exterminate two rats. He had no way of knowing, of course, that all the rest were also gone and would not return, that his grain loft was safe. In a moment he turned and walked to the house. As soon as he was safely gone, Mrs Frisbee scurried down from her tree and into the woods. On the ground she could no longer see the rat or the thicket where he lay, but she knew the direction, and she ran. Around a stump, over a mound of leaves, past a cedar tree, there were the saplings, and there lay the rat, still on his side. It was Brutus. Beside him, futilely trying to move him, stood Mr. Ages. She reached him, breathless from her run. Is he dead? No, he's unconscious, but he's alive and breathing. I think he'll revive, if I can just get him to swallow this. Mr. Ages indicated a small corked bottle, no bigger than a thimble, on the ground beside them. What is it? An antidote for the poison. We thought this might happen, so we got it ready last night. He got just a little of the gas, made it this far, and then collapsed. Help me lift his head. Mr. Ages had been unable to lift Brutus's head, and the bottle, at the same time. Now, with Mrs. Frisbee's help, he forced open Brutus's mouth and poured in just a few drops of the smoky liquid the bottle contained. In a few seconds, Brutus made a gulping noise, swallowed hard, and spoke. It's dark, he said. I can't see. Open your eyes, said Mr. Ages. Brutus opened them and looked around. I'm out, he said. How did I get here? Don't you remember? No. Wait. Yes, I was in the hole. I smelled gas. An awful, choking, sweet smell. I tried to run, but I stumbled over somebody lying on the floor, and I fell down. I must have breathed some of the gas. I couldn't get up. And then? I heard the others running past me. I couldn't see them. It was darker than night. Then one of them ran into me and stopped. He pulled me up, and I tried to run again, but I was too dizzy. I kept falling. The other one helped me up again, and I went a few steps more. He kept pulling me, and then pushing, and somehow, finally, I got to the end of the tunnel. I saw daylight, and the air smelled better, but there was nobody else there. I thought the others must have left, so I ran a little further. 
and that's all I remember. Mrs Frisbee said, What about the one who helped you? I don't know who it was. I couldn't see, and he didn't speak at all. I suppose he was trying to hold his breath. <coughs> when we got near the end, and I could see daylight, he gave me one last shove towards it, and then he turned back. Yes, you see, there was still one rat back in there, the one I stumbled over. I think he went back to help that one. Whoever he was, said Mrs Frisbee, he never came out. He died in there. Whoever he was, said Mr Ages, he was brave. Epilogue A few days later, early in the morning, the plough came through the garden. Mrs Frisbee heard the chug of the tractor and the soft scrape of the steel against the earth. She watched from just inside her front door, fearfully at first, but then with growing confidence. The owl and the rats had calculated wisely, and the nearest furrow was more than two feet from her house. Behind the plough, in the moist and shining soil, the rudely upturned red-brown earthworms writhed in a frenzy to rebury themselves. Hopping along each furrow, a flock of spring robins tried to catch them before they slid from sight. And when the ploughing was done, and the worms had all disappeared, either eaten or safely underground, Mr Fitzgibbon came back with the harrow, breaking down the furrows, and turned them all up again. It was a good day for the robins. After the harrow, for the next two days, came the Fitzgibbons themselves, all four of them with hoes and bags of seeds, planting lettuce, beans, spinach, potatoes, corn and asparagus. Mrs Frisbee and her family kept out of sight. Thoughtfully, Brutus and Arthur had dug their doorway behind a tuft of grass, so that not even Billy noticed it. Brutus and Arthur. Mrs Frisbee did not suppose she would ever see either of them again, nor Nicodemus, nor any of the others. Brutus, after swallowing Mr Ages's medicine and resting for half an hour, had gone on his way into the forest to join the colony in Thorn Valley. There was no talk of them coming back, unless their attempt to grow their own food should fail, and she did not believe that that would happen. They were too smart. And even if they did fail, they would probably not come back to Mr Fitzgibbon's farm. She thought that it would be pleasant to visit them, and see their new home, their small lake, and their crops growing. But she had no idea where the valley was, and it would be, in any case, too long a journey for her and her children. So she could only wonder about them. Were they, at that moment, like the Fitzgibbons, planting seeds behind their own plough? Some, like Isabella's mother, might grumble about the hardness of the new life they had chosen. Yet the story of what had happened to Jenna and his friends, if it was Jenna and his friends, to say nothing of the destruction of their own home, 
would surely help to convince them that Nicodemus's ideas were right. The Fitzgibbons finished their planting, and for a week or two, all was quiet. But it would not stay that way. The crops would appear, the asparagus was ready to sprout, and for the rest of the spring and summer, the garden would be too busy a place for mice to live in comfortably. So, on a day in May, as warm as summer, early in the morning, Mrs Frisbee and her children laid a patchwork of sticks, grass and leaves over the top of the entrance to the cement block house and then carefully scraped earth over it so that it would not show. With luck, they would not have to dig a new one in the autumn. They walked to their summer house, taking half a day to do it, strolling slowly and enjoying the fine weather, stopping on the way to eat some new spring leaves of field cress, some young greens and a crisp, spicy mushroom that had sprouted by the edge of the woods. For their main course, a little farther on, there was a whole field of winter wheat, its kernels newly ripe and soft. As they approached the brook, towards the big tree in the hollow of whose roots they would make their summer home, the children ran ahead, shouting and laughing. Timothy ran with them, and Mrs Frisbee was glad to see that he showed no sign of his sickness. It was an exciting time for them. In the garden, they were always alone with themselves, but along the bank of the brook, in summer, lived five other mice families all with children. Within a few minutes of arrival, her four had gone with a group of the others down to the water to see the tadpoles swim. Mrs Frisbee set about the job of tidying up the house, which had acquired a carpet of dead leaves during the winter, and then bringing in a pile of soft green moss to serve as bedding for them all. The house was a roomy chamber with a pleasant, earthy smell. Its floor was hard-packed earth, and its wooden roof was an arched intertwining of roots, above which rose the tree itself, an oak. On her way to get the moss, she saw one of her neighbours, a lady named Janice who, like herself, had four children. Janice ran over to talk to her. You're so late getting here, she said. We all thought something must have happened to you. No said Mrs Frisbee. We're all fine. But don't you live in the garden? Janice persisted. I should have thought you'd be afraid of the ploughing. As a matter of fact, Mrs Frisbee explained, they didn't plough the particular spot in the garden where we live. It's behind a boulder. You were lucky. That's true. More than that, Mrs Frisbee did not tell. She had agreed to keep a secret and she would do as she had said. Still, she thought, after quite a long deliberation, it was probably all right to tell her children, first making them promise to keep it secret. They were, after all, the children of Jonathan Frisbee. For all she knew, and for all Nicodemus knew, they were likely to turn out to be quite different from other mice, and they had a right to know the reason. The following evening, therefore, when they had finished an early supper, 
she gathered them around her. Children, I have a story to tell you. A long one. Oh, good, cried Cynthia. What kind of a story? A true one, about your father and about the rats. How can it be about father and the rats? Teresa asked. Because he was a friend of theirs. He was? said Martin incredulously. I never knew that. It was mostly before you were born. To everyone's surprise, Timothy said. I thought he might be. I think Mr. Aegis was too. How did you know that? I didn't know it. I just thought it. A couple of times I saw Mr. Aegis leaving their rosebush, and I knew that Father used to visit him a lot. But I never saw him near the rosebush. Probably, Mrs. Frisby thought, because he would have been careful always to leave through the blackberry bramble, just so we would not see him. They sat down outside the entrance to the house, and beginning at the beginning, with her first visit to the rats, she told them all that she had seen and done, and all that Nicodemus had told her. It took a long time to tell it, and as she talked, the sun sank low, turning the sky red and lighting the tops of the mountains, beyond which, somewhere, the rats of Nim were living. The children's eyes grew round when she told them about the escape from Nim, and even rounder when she described her own capture and escape from the birdcage. But in the end, the eyes of Teresa and Cynthia were filled with tears, and Martin and Timothy looked sad. But Therese, Teresa said, But mother, that's terrible. It must have been Justin. He saved Brutus, and then went back. And he was so nice. Mrs Frisby said, It may have been Justin. We can't be sure. It could have been one of the others. Martin said, I'm going to find out. I'm going to go to the Thorn Valley, somehow, some day. But it's too far, and you don't know where it is. No, but I'll bet Jeremy knows. Remember, he told you the rats had a clearing back in the hills. That must be in Thorn Valley. He thought about this for a minute. Then he added, he might even fly me there, on his back, the way he did you. But we don't know where Jeremy is either. We don't see the crows down here, Mrs Frisby reminded him. No, but in the autumn, when we go back to the garden, I could find him then. If I got something shiny and put it out in the sun, he'd come to get it. Martin was growing excited at his idea. Oh, mother... May I? I don't know. I doubt that the rats will want visitors from the outside. They wouldn't mind. After all, you helped them, and so did father, and I wouldn't do any harm. It's not something we have to decide tonight, said Mrs Frisby. I'll think about it. And now it's late. It's time for bed. The sun had set. They went into the house and lay down on the soft moss Mrs Frisbee had placed on the floor of their room under the roots. Outside, the brook swam quietly through the woods, and up above them the warm wind blew 
through the newly opened leaves of the big oak tree. They went to sleep. And that's the end of the book. I hope you liked it. I love you lots. Big Daddy Squeeze. Night night. And God bless.